You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. It's good to gather together as a church today. Hello also to those who are engaged in their church during this time uh, watching online. Uh, my name is Dean, I'm the pastor here. Thanks for making us part of your Sunday. We're in a new series today called Clarity, where we're looking at exactly what is, it, what is the mission of the church. Like, let's have some clarity and be clear on what is the purpose of the local church that God in his idea and in his design has actually created for himself, for his mission, and for his glory. Because there seems to be a lot of confusion around what it actually is the church is supposed to be about. Uh, for some folks, they might think the church's job is to uh, basically be some kind of arm of the Republican National Co- Convention Committee. Others think that the church should be a you know, champion of progressive politics and ideas, or maybe a purveyor of American values, or the Constitution, or supposed to be the one that has uh, to engage in every single social conversation and every single social issue. You hear people say, where is the church on this? When is the church going to talk about this? Where is the church? What is the church doing? About every single thing you could possibly imagine, it's important that our source for clarity concerning what the church is, what the church is not, that it's not cable news, that our source is not your Twitter feed, that our source is not your Facebook feed, Lord have mercy, let it not be that, that the source of the actual mission of the church is the Bible, that it's found in the scriptures. So we're gonna take three weeks in this series called Clarity and actually try to form some clarity around why it is that we exist now for God. Like why God has set apart a people for himself called the church and what it is that we ultimately should be about together that makes us unique as in local churches that congregate together as the people of God. But first really quick, we'll look at who we are. Like if we're gonna know what we're supposed to do and what our mission is, have clarity around that, we first need to understand exactly who God has made us. First Peter 2.9 says that he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are the called people of God. He has called us out of an old way that was darkness, called us out of death, called us out of living for the world, and now has called us into something, into his marvelous light. We are called out people, people that are saved from sin, who are saved from sin's penalty of death. We're saved to be more like Jesus. And we're also saved to be a part of God's mission and on it with him. Kevin DeYoung wrote this, he's an author, theologian, and pastor. The mission of the church is the task given by God for the people of God to accomplish in the world. So God himself has given the church an actual task, an actual mission, and we need to make sure we are clear on exactly what it is because it's so easy for churches to get off track. It's so easy for churches to get off the task that God has given them and to get sidetracked by so many different things. And oftentimes, I don't even realize it or notice. I go to Starbucks basically every single day, including Christmas Day, that's a fact. And uh, on the way to go visit family that day, we'll swing through really quick so I can get my Starbucks. Like seriously, I go every single day. And I've written my book there, I write all my sermons there, like that's my spot. So I get also the same exact order every single time. So at about, I think, four Starbucks in town, 
if I walk in, they know what I want. So I kind of rotate around based on where I am that day. So I'll walk in, I'll go up the register, and they'll be like, Trenta ice cream tea with no water, no sweetener, and light ice. And I'm like, that's right. And, like, and then I'll just, you know, I'll scan my app or whatever and, and go on to, the, to, to have my drink and go do what, what I need to do. One time my wife, Chrissy, was going through the drive-thru. I knew she was out grocery shopping, so I sent her a text. I said, hey, will you please bring me back Starbucks? So she's like, sure. She goes to the drive-thru line. She does my order, and the person goes, is this for Dean? <laughs> that was a wonderful day for me. I don't think she's ever rolled her eyes harder, but for me, it was a wonderful, it was a wonderful day. Well, so every now and then, when I go in Starbucks, I'm also asked to bring a drink to someone else. And you know, maybe Chrissy wants something, maybe I'm in the office and someone on our staff you know, wants me to bring them back a drink or something along those lines. So I'll go up to the register and I'll say, can I have a, and I don't do my order. I'll say, can I have a, I don't know what else anything is called, a double shot, twice removed, you know, a la mode, sprinkled, cocoa, something, or whatever it's called, and I'll do that, and they'll look at me, and they'll be confused, and they'll go, what, what, wait, what, what, we're kind of thrown off here, that's not your order, and I'm like, oh yeah, my bad, that's an order for somebody else that I'm bringing back a drink, and you can feel it's collective, like, oh, <laughs> like, that makes more sense now in the room, and the reality is, when the church gets off track, when the church is not doing its normal routine of what it's supposed to be about, we should notice, and people should notice, and we should go, oh, wait, that's for somebody else. That's not what we are called to be in the scriptures. So let's talk about that. In the simplest terms, the mission of the church is the Great Commission. The Great Commission, which is what people have called these words from Jesus in Matthew's chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We're told this, that Jesus came near and said to them, said to the disciples, said to those who had witnessed his resurrection, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So establishing right then that Jesus is the authority. His word is the authority. Secular thought is not the authority. Sociology is not the authority. Can we learn truths from those things? Absolutely. But ultimate authority comes from Jesus. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, based on all of this, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, you're not going at this alone. I am with you always to the end of the age. God gives us the Holy Spirit himself to empower us and guide us and be with us for the task that he has given us to go and do, which is his mission. Now, I wanna be very clear here. The Great Commission is not an exhaustive list of everything Christians should care about. A lot of the things that are going on in this world right now that we should speak to, that we should be sensitive towards, that we should be intentionally caring about, really are just simply issues of loving our neighbor. Like a lot of times it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like as Christian people who are learning to, believe, to, as the Great Commission says, observe everything I have commanded you, when we're engaged in the social welfare of our neighbors, we're obeying the commands of Jesus or being taught of loving other people, of loving our neighbor, of caring about people even more as the Bible says than we care about ourselves. I'm not great at caring about somebody better than I am caring about myself, I'm not, I'm not sure about you, but we're commanded to go and do that. So you might go, well, what about this mission? What about that mission? And my answer is that's not necessarily the mission of the church, it is the calling of Christians to simply be more like Jesus. 
than to be loving towards other people and to meet their needs and their concerns, to care for the oppressed, the marginalized, those who are in need, not because that's the ultimate mission, because of people who are trying to be more like Jesus, we love people and that's just what we are about and what we do. See, essentially and uniquely, the mission of the church is what makes the church. Philip Ryken wrote this, our task as the gathered body of Christ, that's what we are right now, is to make disciples by bearing witness to Jesus Christ, the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. So oftentimes, maybe you've had, in the past, you said a church got too political, um, you know, a church got too this, got too that. What really happened was they got off track. They got off mission. It wasn't that somebody had an agenda or somebody you know, wanted to kind of put their politics in front of you or something along those lines. They really, the core, like you go a little bit deeper and somewhere down the line, there is a drift away from what we should ultimately be about. See, all four gospels plus the book of Acts include some version of the Great Commission. You find it in Mark 13, verse 10, and also 14, verse nine. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. In John 20, verse 21, and then in Acts chapter one, verse eight. So my main text for the next three weeks, I'll be in today in the next few weeks, is Acts 14, 21 through 23. Acts 14, verses 21 through 23, which I believe gives us some real clarity on what the church was actually about then and what the church should actually be about now. It's not our job to reinvent the wheel. It's our job to take our mission in the context that God has put us in here in Tallahassee and beyond. But before I read that, I wanna read verse 15 that sets up for us what's happening. Uh, they're talking to the people in the community and the disciple says, we are people also, just like you. We're not some super spiritual, can't relate to us. You know, we're not these, some people thought they were gods because of the wonders that Jesus let them do at the time because the Bible had not been completed yet. So God allowed them to do some signs to validate the mission. We are people also, just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you. What good news? That Jesus Christ has come to die for sinners. That God will not punish us as our sins deserve, but punish Jesus who never sinned instead. And this Jesus, after he died for us, he rose from the grave. He's alive right now. We have good news to bring you. And we hope this good news does this, that you turn from these worthless things, from darkness, to the living God, to his marvelous light. Then he does a strong contrast. Who is this God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them? What he's saying is the worthless things, they have no power. God created them. Idolatry is when we go, God, I don't want you, I want your stuff instead. No thank you, creator, I want what's created. He's going, no, 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 turn from those worthless things to the living God who has done all of this. Come out of darkness into the marvelous light. Then we get to our main text. After they had preached the gospel in that town, that's what they went there to do, and made many disciples, that's the Great Commission. They returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith, equipping them, encouraging them, teaching them to be more like Jesus, and by telling them it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That part of you becoming more like Christ is gonna be you're gonna have some difficulties in your life. 
The book of James says that God uses trials and tribulations to build us up, to make us more like Christ. So he's already kind of rejecting the prosperity gospel. It says that God's gonna make sure you're always healthy, always wealthy, all those type of things. He's going, no, no, to follow Jesus, guess what? It's going to be costly. Like in this hostile first century world we're in, where people are trying to stop the spread of the gospel here in this area as this is being written, it's going to be difficult, he's telling them. Like following Jesus, like salvation is free. Like it costs Jesus everything, but for us it's free. But actually following Christ ain't cheap. Like it costs something. I want you to know this, he's telling them. And then what does he do? Verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed to the Lord in whom they had believed. Committed them to the Lord. So here they are going to cities, speaking the good news of Christ, encouraging people who are struggling. It says they told them to carry on in the faith. They're helping them learn the commands of Jesus. And then they connect them in the local church. They appoint elders over actual congregations because reaching someone and discipling someone and caring for someone was completely linked to then connecting someone to a local church body. So we see actual leadership that's being appointed over actual churches. So yes, the people in the New Testament went to church. <laughs> they gathered together as a body of believers and that was really kind of, it should be considered par for the course for anyone who came to faith in Christ. To be an unchurched Christian was unthinkable during this time. And I just want to give an encouragement to those of you maybe recently, last month, whatever it is, decided, you know, we're going to, since we're believers, we're going to be a part of a local church. That's fantastic. But that's God's prescription for you to be part of this. So his goal as the missionary, the disciples' goal was the conversion of Jewish people to Christ and also unbelievers and the transformation of their hearts and minds, and then for that to happen from darkness to light, and then the incorporation of these new believers into actual spiritual maturing local churches. Like this would be their new ultimate identity, the people of God. This would be their new actual reality, the local church. Darkness, light, like this is who we are now. And this text focuses on three primary things that show us what the mission was about. The first one was evangelism the telling of the good news, the telling of God's story in Jesus Christ, why he came in the first place. The second one is discipleship, the process of becoming more like Jesus, of growing in our faith. And then the third thing we see is the idea of then going yourself or a church actually sending you with the good news to go let others know. So we see evangelism, the telling of the good news, discipleship, equipping believers to live out their faith in their daily lives as they're going and being sent. That kind of, that's one category. They're going, but also the church is sending them, praying for them, fasting, sending them into the world. So what we're gonna look at today is that first thing, evangelism. In verse 21, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made disciples. What we see first is new converts. In verse 21, Christianity is a conversion religion. Everyone who is a Christian converted to Christianity. From this world to, if you were six years old or 66, you went from the world to Jesus. You had an actual conversion that happened in your life. And the way we want that to play out in our church in terms of how we think about this, 
pray about this, strategize around this, whatever you want to call it, all the above, is we want to see people connect. Connect to Jesus and connect to the church. By connect to Jesus, first and foremost, that means be reached for Christ. To actually give your life to Christ, to see your need to be saved from your sins. Your need for Jesus to do a whole lot more in your life than just take the wheel. He'll do that too, but you actually need Jesus to be the one he came to be, which is the savior of the world. It's hard to think you need Jesus when you think you're fine on your own. And where we live, a lot of folks who consider themselves to be good people, so they like Jesus and are fine with him, they're not atheists, they're not agnostics, they have some kind of generic theistic belief. But in terms of surrendering to Jesus, believing his gospel, give my life to him, people just kind of think they're, they're good on their own. So you have to almost deconstruct that idea to help them be almost ready to trust in Christ. I call it, you have to get somebody lost before they can get saved. They gotta see their need for Christ before they move forward. And how I usually approach that is, kind of the most general view folks have is that they just think they're good people. We're good folks. You know, every, every funeral I've ever been to in my life, we're told that Uncle Jim is in a better place. Right, we're so thankful that, you know, Grandpa's reunited with Grandma, that, you know, he missed her so much. And we're told that, you know, we're just glad that Billy's fishing at the big bass lake in the sky, right? I mean, those are the things, you know, he's, you know we, we know that he's playing 18 holes right now with Grandpa, right? It's just that kind of stuff. And that might be comforting for the family, and I don't, I mean, it, might, it might even be true. There might be 18 holes, I have no idea. But the reason usually, oftentimes, in cultural Christianity especially, for believing that to be true is because he was a great person. He's just a great guy, just an awesome person. And here's my answer to that. They're right. He was a great person by American Tallahassee standards of what it means to be good. God doesn't grade by the same curve that we do. God's standard is perfection. Has anyone in this room met that standard? Anybody? Perfection? Jesus has. So he, as one who did not need to die for his own sins because he had none, was eligible to die for ours, and he did. So one sin separates us from God, but thankfully through one man's act on the cross, Jesus, now we're reconciled to God, but we can't understand that until we first believe we need Jesus. Because if good people die for, if, if good people go to heaven simply because they were good people, the book of Galatians chapter two, verse 21 says, that means that Jesus died for nothing. Evangelism, to want to see people connect to Christ, is first help them see their need. We want them to connect to Christ, then connect to the local church, because in the scriptures, those are one and the same. Not that going to a church makes you a Christian, but when you become a Christian, it's unthinkable that a person would not be part of a church in the Bible. Missionaries, I love this quote, communicate the news of Jesus the Messiah and Savior to people who have not heard or accepted the, the, this news. So two kind of folks we go to, those who have never heard it and those who have heard it but never accepted it before. I get asked sometimes, it's a great question, why do we spend so much money and, and use the resources of our church, which the money that God has given you, we call, it your, we call it the resources God has given us, mission ammunition. Why do we spend so much money and effort sending people overseas full time sending money to mission organizations we know and trust. Like why, when there's so many people who need Jesus in Tallahassee? 
That's a great question. Here's why. We are on mission, hopefully, in Tallahassee every single day, but the difference in here and somewhere that maybe the gospel is closed to or there's complete secularism that has taken over, like maybe an Eastern Europe kind of place, parts of Western Europe, Asia, the Middle East, there is no access to the good news. In this area, you at least have access to it. I did a wedding in Athens, Georgia last night, go dogs, and on the way back late, I saw that fist pump out there, on, uh, on, the, um, on the way back, I'm not a Georgia fan, I just wanted to give a shout out, but on the way back of driving last night, I think I passed like 50 churches, like just on one country road. It's like church, 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 like three across the street from each other, like in one little triangle, like different denominations. There's churches everywhere. That doesn't mean there's the gospel everywhere. Doesn't mean people are reached everywhere, but there's at least access to the good news. We send to places where they've never heard because they have no access to it. So right now we have missionaries from our church in three different continents living full time. Why? Because there's people there who have never heard. And that has to be unacceptable to us. Why? Because we know our own story, 1 Peter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people. You don't, you're not born as God's people, you become God's people through Christ. But now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, and here's some great news, but now you have. Now you have received mercy, 1 Peter 2.10. So why would we want others to experience the same? To experience mercy for themselves. The English word we have for evangelism derives from the old Greek word that means basically to announce the good news. To be announcers, proclaimers, those who herald the good news. It assumes a declaring of the gospel. Uh, evangelism is, is an act where you gotta eventually cut straight. You can't kinda hem and haw forever around evangelism. Eventually you have to get to the point, because we're told that people can't know in Romans 10 unless they're actually told. So in Acts 14 they went to these places because they wanted to tell people the good news. It does take time to get there with someone and I trust your own instincts with your friends and family of when's a good time to talk about it or I don't think they're quite ready yet or if I brought it up right now, it'd be a catastrophe. <laughs> you know, like like I, I trust your instincts. I think there's patience that needs to be involved but eventually you have to announce the good news. Like to just be the Christian friend in somebody's life forever and ever and ever who never actually gets the story of Jesus really is problematic. Eventually we have to get there. And that person receiving mercy from Christ should be more important to us than the fact that it might be a little weird or a little awkward or a little strange in the conversation. Traditionally there's two different kinds of evangelism, of trying to connect people to God. And the two traditional kinds are event evangelism and cold call evangelism. Now there's a pastor in Chicago way back named, uh, named Moody and he used to say, I like my way of doing evangelism better than your way of not doing evangelism. So I think there's all different kind of ways to put hooks in the water, and I'm not gonna make fun of any of them. 
I think that God uses all different kind of things, but what's, what's event evangelism? Event evangelism would be like um, maybe a Billy Graham crusade. We used to come to a city, and people would invite their friends to go hear Billy Graham, or you'll see maybe a, uh, a sports ministry outreach, you know, where uh, there's gonna be a basketball clinic, and we're gonna bring in a Christian basketball player who's gonna come in afterwards and, and share the gospel with all the kids, or uh, I've seen Harley Davidson biker rallies, and, and all, all, all different kind of things. Those are event-driven evangelism, great. The other one is cold call evangelism. That's when you like knock on somebody's door and are like, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? People still do that a lot. I, I, I don't do that. I'm not saying that those who, again, I'm, I like your way better than not doing it. So if you do that, that's great, but that's just not my approach. Um, and cold call would also be like, you know, just walk up to a stranger. Hey, can I talk to you about something? Or, you know, um, somebody's pumping gas next to you. It's like, you know, that was, it's flammable. You wanna talk about fire? Let's talk about Jesus and hell. It's like that, you know, like, I don't recommend that either. Or uh, you're, you're on an airplane, there's turbulence, and the guy gets nervous next to you. It's like, hey, this did go down. Let's talk about this for a minute. You know, like, that kinda, that's, that's, kinda, that's kinda cold call uh, evangelism. And um, events, God's used that. Cold call, God's used that. But I wanna advocate for something else. That's you know, anti the other things. I just wanna advocate for something else that I think is best for our church and for Tallahassee in 2020 to be as effective as we can, and that's relational evangelism. Relational evangelism, where we develop relationships with people, not because they're a project, because we generally care about them as individuals, and the ultimate way to care about somebody is eventually to point them to Christ on your own. I hope you bring them to church, but it's not my job to lead your friend to Jesus, it's your job to lead your friend to Jesus. But the good news is that's not up to you, the telling is up to you. God's the one that saves people, so the pressure's off of you. You can't change somebody's heart, and that's a good thing. You don't want to be in the business of trying to have to do that. But we do need to be in the business of opening our mouths and telling the story. Relational evangelism. Rodney Stark, who's an historian, here's what he wrote about how Christianity became an urban movement and transformed the Roman world back in the day. Here's what he wrote about it. Social networks are the basic mechanism through which conversion takes place. Most conversions are not produced by professional missionaries conveying a new message, but by rank and file members who share their faith with their friends, their coworkers, and their relatives. The principle that conversions spread through social networks is quite consistent with the fact that the earliest followers of Jesus shared many family ties and long-standing associations. Although the very first Christian converts in the West may have been by full-time missionaries, the conversion process soon became self-sustaining as new converts accepted the obligation, the task of the missionary that God had given them to spread their faith and did so by missionizing their immediate circle of intimates. Now it says that they took it on themselves so the message could be self-sustaining and not dependent anymore on anyone else. I'm afraid that's disappearing because right now we have a group of Christian people across the country that have become apathetic when it comes to sharing their faith. Apathetic about evangelism when the best way I believe to do it is in the context we are already in. Think of these spheres. Number one, people in your family. How many of you maybe have a spouse who doesn't know the Lord? Parents, adult children, your 12-year-old kid, your seven-year-old kid, whoever it might be that don't know Christ. Second, people in your neighborhood. 
the person you talk to when you take trash out, go to get the mail, need to borrow something, however, however for a barbecue, whatever it might be, the people in your neighborhood, do you know them? Have you had a conversation? They at least know that you're a believer? Let's just start there, do they know? People at work, who you spend the most of your time with during the day? Do people at work know that you're a believer? Have you ever actually told them? Hopefully you act like it, but have you ever actually told them? Fourth thing, people you hang out with, it's your friends. Who you go get a drink with, or who you go to CrossFit with, or who, wherever it might be, the people you, people you tailgate with, hopefully that happens, or whatever, whatever it might be, your friends who are around you. And fifth, the people you see out and about. Just folks that are part of your routine, you run into, talk to, you know them because you always see them at this place, wherever it might be. There's a temptation out there, and that's to think that evangelism is defeating or beating a non-Christian in an argument. Like, oh, I told them, that's not what we're trying to do. That repels, that doesn't attract. We are, though, trying to reason with people that Jesus really is the way, that he really is better. There's not more to be gained by disobeying him. There is to be gained by obeying him. They don't gotta go around God for all the things they're looking for in their life. They can go right to him. DeYoung says, the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the spirit and the gathering of these disciples into churches. They might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and eternity to the glory of God the Father. Every uh, week before Easter at the Civic Center, the Tucker Center, which did not happen this year, dang corona, uh, we as a staff also invite the church, kind of send an all call out to the church and he wants to join us. We go to the top floor of the Capitol, usually on that Monday or Tuesday, and it kind of gives you a panoramic kind of view of Tallahassee, really. We just go up there and we just pray. We pray together as a group, then we have little sheets of specific prayer needs for our city and we go around and we, I'll pray towards different neighborhoods and just ask God to move in our city, to see people reached in our city, because there are a lot of needs in our city, but the greatest undeniable need our city has is spiritual. It's spiritual. That's when we ignore other needs that are real tangible needs, but the biggest need our city has is a spiritual need. And guess who has the answer to that spiritual need? The church. That's uniquely our mission. So when I'm praying up there, I start just to get a burden for our community. And just think of how many people out there are lost. They might be great people and good moms and dads and friends and everything else by Tallahassee standards of good, but they don't know Christ. And like, we can't sugarcoat this. Like, God will punish sin. Like he won't let sin go unpunished. If he did, then Christmas and Easter are the most pointless days in the history of the world. I mean, take back your pastels and your lily dress and, and take your lights off at Christmas and don't go to Dorothy B. Oven Park. It's a waste. But he came for people, to rescue people. The Son of Man, we're told, came to seek and save those who were lost. He told us that is why he came, so we should be about that. And then to connect them to the people of God. Hudson Taylor wrote this, this is the last quote I'll read. And, I, and I, when I go to the Capitol, this is on my mind. And I want to be on just a prayerful thing on your mind. I love for me is you just drive around, drive from work, drive home, drive from the grocery store. Hudson Taylor said this, let's put it on the screen. Would that God would make hell so real to us that we cannot rest. I mean, what a quote. And here's the deal with that. 
and that's, that's, a, that's a leap for a lot of people. It's like, that's like going from like one to like 10 in one step. So I just wanna suggest kind of like a baby step. And that's just believing that it's real. Believing that it's real. It's like heaven and hell are, hell are real places where real people go. And that it's not squit, get down in your chair, it's not, oh, that's hellfire and brimstone, it's just the Bible. But that's why Jesus came to rescue a people. God so loved the world that he gave his son. So whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life, otherwise known as heaven. So in the meantime, between now and heaven, what do we do? You know what we do? We love our neighbor because Jesus told us to. We obey his commands. A lot of times loving your neighbor is gonna make you feel uncomfortable. Because it's gonna make you have to be in conversations and face realities that maybe you're not ready for. But notice in the mission, he never said to go win, to go beat them, to go, you know, tell them off or, ooh, like, you know. He came to seek and save the lost. So why do we care about the things of this world? Because God cares about people. So much that he gave Jesus to die for people. So there's so many things we can care about and we should care about and we should be interested in and we should talk about, but nothing can take away from the fact that the primary mission of the local church is the Great Commission. That's why we need you to be generous. To say, I'm the church I'm a part of, I'm gonna be someone who uses the resources God has given me to take the mission forward. Because the gospel must get there. The gospel must go. And it's through the church that that actually happens. So sermons like these get me excited simply because I know that we have a people in Tallahassee called City Church and also faithful churches in this community that love Jesus, the ones that preach the gospel, that we have a mission in front of us. And it's not to have checklists or to you know, make projects. No, it's to love people. And there's a lot of different ways we can love people, but the most loving thing we possibly can do is give people's answer to their greatest longing they don't even realize they have which is to be reconciled to their creator. And the good news is we have the answer of how that happens. His name is Jesus, the only mediator between God and man, the scriptures tell us. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word and that you've given the church a clear mission in the Bible. So as we rightly care about other things, as you have told us to love our neighbors and to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn, Lord, let us not be distracted that all of this is in the context of the bigger picture, which is you reconciling a people to yourself. So let us be people who are unashamed of the fact that you've been clear on what you want your church to do. I ask that we'll repent of letting other avenues and mediums be what dictates for us what the church should be about rather than the scriptures. And that we will unashamedly be a people who have moved by you from darkness into light who love your word, who love you, and as a result want to see people experience the mercy that we have experienced. Let's forgive us when we're selfish and keep it to ourselves, your grand story of love and reconciliation. Lord, I ask that people will in this community and beyond be pointed to you. I pray for the Nelson family in Africa right now, for the Truex family in Asia, for the Stewarts in Berlin, for the West family in London, Lord, for our missionaries, Lord, I ask they can build strong relationships and that people can see the light that shines in them and as a result, believe in you. Use them and Lord, use us here in Tallahassee as we go on our own mission trips every day. And I thank you to everyone who's a Christian in this room that somebody told us the good news 
Let us not forget that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.